Today you're gonna to get 10 levers to improve your company's financial situation. But first, a tragic entrepreneur story that happens far too often. John Smith walked into the photo shoot beaming with pride. He'd just been named one of America's most successful entrepreneurs and was about to win an award for the growth of the revenue of his company. In he walked to the photo shoot, lights, cameras, and a peppy photographer there ready to capture him in all of his glory, but John had a secret. Later that day, John headed to his attorney's office where he'd be discussing his options to avoid bankruptcy. Deep down inside, John felt like a fraud the whole day, knowing that despite the incredible revenue growth of his company, that in just a few weeks time, it could all come crashing down. How does this kind of thing happen? You've likely heard over and over, sales cures all. You've likely also heard that there's only three ways to grow a business. Get more clients, get them to buy more often, and or get them to spend more each and every time that they buy. This advice is misleading and incomplete. In fact, countless entrepreneurs have followed this exact advice to grow revenue and have still ended up going bankrupt. Yes, you heard me right. It's possible for revenues to grow and grow and grow and for your company to struggle financially more and more. In fact, there's an expression called growing broke. No, that's not a speech impediment. You heard me correctly, growing broke. My name is Tim Francis. I've been through over 150 board meetings and I've seen the private financials of dozens of different companies. So I see what really goes on behind the scenes. If your company is struggling financially, it most likely has an issue with one or many of the following 10 labors. A quick note before we get very deep on this, I am not a lawyer, I am not an accountant or an accredited financial professional. I highly recommend that you get the appropriate counsel from the appropriate professional before taking action on anything that you see in this video. Let's dive right in. The first lever is spending far too much on acquiring clients. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to take all the revenue in your business and split it into three or four different revenue buckets. So let's say that you're a coach or consultant. Your three buckets might be online course sales, one-on-one -on -one consulting, group coaching, and maybe a fourth bucket for live event ticket sales. Next up, I'd like you to do a little bit of research to see how much you spend to acquire clients in each of those four buckets. Here's a sample of the kinds of expenses that you may want to consider. Online advertising, Facebook, Instagram, Google ads, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube ads, anything that is online advertising. Traditional advertising, any of the labor required to market and sell to get customers. Commissions to salespeople, affiliates and referral partners. Gifts you might be buying, dinners you might be paying for, travel that you might be doing sponsorship fees, et cetera, et cetera. Now I don't want you to include any expense that stays flat irrespective of how many clients you get or don't get. So for example, the cost to maintain your website. That stays exactly the same no matter how many or how, how few clients that you've got. I bet once you look at those four different buckets, you'll see that making sales in one, maybe two of those buckets is extraordinarily more expensive to acquire clients than the other two or three buckets. You'll probably wanna double down 
on getting clients from the least expensive bucket while probably cutting back on acquiring clients in the most expensive bucket. Now I say probably because ultimately you do have to zoom out and look at your overall situation. For example, it could be that that bucket that is the most expensive to acquire clients is selling something that's incredibly inexpensive for you to fulfill. So for example, if you were spending a lot to acquire clients through online advertising, but you're selling an online course that has zero extra cost each time you sell the course, then there might be a good reason to keep that really expensive bucket. Another reason why you might wanna keep that really expensive bucket is if the front end purchase is combined with an upsell that is really, really high margin. So the classic example here is, would you like fries with that? Hamburgers typically are not all that profitable for restaurants to sell, but you know it's very, very, very high margin for them to sell. Soda, gravy, fries, a lot of those upsells are very, very, very high margin. And in a sense, the hamburger just gets the customer to the counter, but where the company really makes their money is on the upsells. This is why upselling customers is actually typically one of the best ways to generate new profit, especially when what you're upselling is very high margin. We'll get more into that a little bit later. As a quick note, I would say the single industries or two that I see over and over again have the most outrageous spend on acquiring clients is typically going to be um, online experts sometimes spend an absolute fortune. Sometimes they spend more than 100% of their revenue just on online advertising. Another area where this can get out of control is e-commerce. If there are entrepreneurs selling online on Amazon or to Shopify and are spending an absolute fortune to get customers, that can be very, very difficult. And the third is sometimes online advertising for startups where holy smokes, the ad spend can be absolutely astronomical. The internet can be a wonderful place to have a huge access to a ton of people and there are incredible tools to target them. You gotta keep a very close eye though on what you're spending to acquire each new customer. Sometimes it's just not worth it. Let's now look at lever number two, spending too much on fulfillment. On the same three or four revenue categories that you just defined, I now want you to go bucket by bucket and take a look at what are you spending to fulfill on each of those kinds of sales? Probably the biggest one is going to be labor. There's an old, old expression that overhead walks on two feet. Well, we're not exactly necessarily talking to overhead here, but we are talking about the blend of direct and indirect costs that do go towards fulfilling. Now that could be labor, that could also be any materials, that you need to include. For example, if you are a coach consultant again and you're bringing on a new client and you send them a shirt or a hat or a mug or something as a thank you for joining your program, that would be an example of a physical product that is an expense every time you bring in a new client. Once again, as you look at those four buckets, you'll probably see that one, maybe two of your buckets is incredibly inexpensive to fulfill and then there's probably one, maybe two buckets that are incredibly expensive to fulfill. So you can start seeing how when you combine lever number one, which is cost of acquisition, with lever number two, cost of fulfillment, 
you start putting those together and you start seeing the magic of where you can start locating some very high margin sales in your business. And again, I say probably you want to divest out of very expensive uh, buckets because we don't know for sure. We again have to look at the overall picture to see what is the total cost to acquire, fulfill, and then even into overhead. So make sure you're looking at the big picture as you think about pulling any one of these 10 levers. The third lever that you can look at to make your company more financially successful is overhead. Now overhead, whether it's labor or not, are gonna be all of the expenses that remain the same, whether you've got one more client or 10 more clients or maybe 100 more clients. So that's gonna be things like your marketing software that you have to pay every single month. That's gonna include paying your accountant, legal fees. There's probably some of your staff that is counted as part of overhead. If you have a physical office, then the rent that you pay and the utilities, those are all going to be part of your overhead. Now, seeing as labor is such a big part of most companies' overhead, it's definitely worth looking at where you can get more and more efficient. For example, if you simply take the total profit of your company and you compare that to the amount of money you put into labor, we wanna see that profitability go up as your labor stays ideally flat or maybe even becoming less expensive. So what are some ways that you can get more profit out of the same or less labor? I think a really powerful three-step path to follow is to first think about what can you eliminate? Are there steps that your customers really don't care about? Are there activities, behaviors that don't really make a difference for them? For example, one of my earlier businesses was a digital marketing company and every single two weeks I would prepare a report alongside my executive assistant. We would submit that report to our clients and that would give them their update on the state of the union of their account. After a few months of this, I was trying to think for myself, how can I make my labor more efficient? And so I reached out to my clients and I asked them, hey, you know that report that my assistant and I produce for you every two weeks? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? What do you think we should do differently? A couple of my clients just said, you know what, honestly, Tim, we just believe you. We believe your recommendations. And we trust that if something bad were to come up, you would be proactive and you would let us know. And so I said, does that mean that you don't even really look at the reports? They said, yeah, no, we don't even really look at them. I was blown away. So what did I do? I simply stopped creating them and I simply stopped sending them. That's an example of eliminating something that's not making any difference for customers. A second way to get more efficient is to think about what can we automate? Where can we get software to do what we previously were doing ourselves or teammates were doing via manual labor? Is there some way that we can use integrations like Zapier or If This Then That to take care of a bunch of repetitive tasks for us? And a third way to get more efficient to cut down on your labor costs is to think about, do we have the right people doing the right job? I'll give you a true story. I was working inside of a company. They were an internet company doing over $10 million a year. So they had a full executive team, including a chief financial officer. I happened to notice one day that the chief financial officer was actually downloading all the bank statements and sending them off to the accountant. That blew me away. Here's someone that is very highly educated with a ton of influence in this company doing over $10 million a year in revenue, 
and he's the one who's logging into their online banking and downloading bank statements, I thought it was absolutely crazy. There's no way that a CFO should be doing that work. The CFO should be focused on strategy. That CFO should have had a teammate, ideally an assistant, that that CFO might be paying 20 to $25 an hour to be the one to download the bank statements, not the CFO. This is equally as true in smaller businesses. If you are a solopreneur, or you have just a couple teammates, really ask yourself, is what you're doing at least $50 an hour work? And if it's not, we gotta get an assistant. We gotta get things delegated off your plate because you are far, far, far too skilled and experienced. It's just not appropriate anymore for you to be doing that lower level work. As you can take on an assistant, yes, maybe your labor costs would go up just a little bit, but the fact of the matter is that should give you so much extra time that you'd produce so much more profit for the company, especially if you've done your homework and figured out where your cost of acquisition and your cost of labor is, that you would completely blow away in such a good way any of the added costs that you would have by getting an assistant. The fourth lever that we've got to improve our financial situation is to maximize lifetime value of our customers. Far too often, we entrepreneurs are focused on new, 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 new. We're always looking for the next client to close the next deal so that we can continue growing revenue. Here's the thing. That's oftentimes the most expensive, slowest, hardest, most frustrating kind of client to get. And we'd be way more profitable if we didn't have to put in all that time, energy, and money to get new clients as much. Instead, if we could turn our focus and generate more profit from our current customers that we've already got, that would make a world of difference. Because remember, our very first lever was cost of acquisition. You don't have to pay that price if you're, if you're reselling to your current customers. How can we go back to them and resell them a second time, a third time, a fourth time, maybe on the exact same thing again? And or can we sell them other related services and products? That might be from our own company, or maybe we partner and sell another company's products and we work as an affiliate. The cost to fulfill for affiliate uh, related products and services is actually zero. Typically, we're just doing the promotion and we get a payment for introducing our customers to another business. Now, when we think about what in-house upsells that we would like to offer our clients, really, really, really keenly think about what is the cost to fulfill on that. Ideally, you want to, you want to bring something to your clients as an upsell that is low cost or no cost for you to provide. So for example, is there an additional information product, an online course or something that you could give them? that that really kind of has zero extra cost for you to fulfill? And or is there like a warranty that you could extend? If you know that only a few percent of your people ever ask for a refund or try to um, return whatever is they bought, then you can probably offer some kind of a extended warranty at zero to no cost for you. And whatever it is that you have to pay in, in refunds or you know, fulfilling on warranties, a few percent of the time, the other 98% of the time, you've got significant new profit coming into your company. Now, if you're feeling kind of shaky and you're really not too sure what you could offer your clients in terms of upsells and resells, maybe even cross-sells, here's a big tip. All you gotta do is pick up the phone. I'm always astounded how few entrepreneurs pick up the phone and talk to their customers, especially entrepreneurs who have more of an e-commerce or internet marketing style business, 
It's like, whoa, 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 you mean there's real human beings actually on the other end of this? Yeah, there is. I can't tell you how much I've gained just by talking to all of my customers. In my one company, Great Assistant, we literally talk to every single one of our clients 60 days after they purchase. And we ask them on a scale of zero to 10, how likely are you to recommend us to a fellow entrepreneur? And then once they give us a score, we'll say, what's the main reason for your score? The amount of feedback and data that we get out of that is exceptional. And that zero to 10 question and what's the main reason for your score, that's something called the net promoter system or the net promoter score. Our entire business has been built on customer feedback. And you would be blown away with just a few phone calls, how much insight and how many ideas you would get on what more you could be doing for your customers. I am telling you, one of the most profitable per hour activities you could ever do is pick up the phone and talk to like a dozen clients and just ask them, how was your experience and what more would you like? By asking them how their experience was, you get feedback on how you can get better. And the better that your products and services get, guess what? The more repeat and referral business you're automatically going to get. And the more that you listen to what your customers would like more and different of, now you know what products and services to create next. As long as you're keeping in mind the cost to fulfill, and you find that right balance between what they want, what they'll pay, and what it costs to fulfill it, goodness gracious, you are now really unlocking significant new profits inside of your business. Our fifth lever to improve the financial performance of our company is to collect accounts receivable more quickly. What are accounts receivable? They're simply any kind of money that's owed to us from clients that we've already sold, we've already supplied the product or service, and now we're just waiting to get paid. It is very common for us entrepreneurs to be owed hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars, and we may not even know it. Why does AR happen? Well, there's the obvious reason. If someone just stops paying us because they're falling upon hard financial times, or they've stopped using our service, those are the obvious reasons. I think you would be surprised though how often customers and clients owe us money and they have no idea. Maybe they have a recurring charge with us and their credit card simply expired and so our system couldn't charge them anymore. So it's important that we run an AR report or an accounts receivable report, sometimes it's also called an aging report, in our CRM or in our financial or accounting software and find out how much money is owed to us. Once we know how much money is owed to us and who owes it to us, now it's just a simple matter of reaching out. I think that you'll find that a lot of clients and customers really do want to pay us on time. Unfortunately for some of them, they're just disorganized around getting their payables paid to us on time. And sometimes just a gentle, friendly reminder is all that it takes. I once had this client that I was working with. They brought me in because they were really feeling disappointed with how much cash was in the bank. And so I asked them, what do you think is the easiest way for us to generate more cash in the bank? Of course, they said, let's double revenue. So I considered that and I also asked to look at their financials. Sure enough, it was there. $60,000 was owed to my client from their clients. And so I asked my client, I said, were you aware that the total owed to you is $60,000? My client said, you know, we had a feeling it was pretty big, but um, we didn't realize it was that big. So I started asking my client a few other questions. I asked, are these clients mad at you? My client said, no, they were very happy. 
I said, oh, well, do you still owe them part of the service? I said, nope, that was fully wrapped up a few months ago. I said, have you fallen out of contact with these clients? You don't know how to reach them? The client said, nope, got them right here on my phone. I could text them right now if I wanted to. I said, oh, well, what happened? My client simply said, you know what? Summer hit, we got focused on family stuff and vacation. Our clients got focused on their families and their vacations. We just kind of fell out of touch. So I recommended to my client that before we embark on some two to three year journey to double revenue, that instead, he just try contacting the clients that already owe money. He did that and within 30 days, he had collected 50,000 of the $60,000 of outstanding money and it completely revolutionized my client's business. So my challenge to you is not only to figure out how much money's owed to you, but also to reach out and see how much you can collect in the next 30 days. And if you've got a client who's kind of dragging their feet or you know, they're kind of feeling like they can't totally pay you, I would strongly consider offering them a five or 10% discount on the total money owed if they pay you in the next seven days. If they can't do seven days, but they can do 10 or 14 days, take it. I think you'll be astounded at how much faster cash coming into your company frees you up to go and do other things. If you've got a bit of a deadbeat client and they're dragging their feet on paying you, that could take months and months and months. I'd rather take a small haircut and get paid all today and write the rest off as bad debt. Lever number six is actually paying bills slower. Now I know this may sound funny or strange, but paying your bills slower actually does wonders to help with the financial position of your company. To show you what I mean, check out this table right here. Now you can see that this company has these sets of revenues and expenses. Here are three different scenarios for how this company can pay its bills. It can pay the same day, it can pay once per week, or it can pay once per month. As you can see, paying every single day leads to this company running out of money, having multiple days that they're actually upside down and out of money, which leads to tons of stress. Now, if they choose to just flip how they pay their bills to being once per week, they still will run out of money, but that point will come a few days later in the month. The entrepreneur will also have fewer days where they're upside down, and they'll also have less overall stress. Now you can see also that if this entrepreneur switches to just paying once per month, nothing here has changed about their revenues and expenses over the course of the month, only what and when they're paying it. And by going to once per month, they actually never run out of money at all. There's no stress and everything is a-okay. Now here's one thing that's wild. In all three of these scenarios, this entrepreneur ends the month with the same amount of money in the bank in any of the three scenarios. The only difference is when they pay their bills. And the difference from that is how much stress and panic this entrepreneur feels or doesn't feel along the way. As much as possible, and still while remaining in integrity with the contracts and agreements that you've signed, see if you can move to paying less often. Make it once a week instead of every day, or maybe make it every two weeks instead of every single day. Obviously, we need to respect the agreements that we've made, but by paying slower, you will have more cash in your bank. And a side bonus is the total time that you spend paying bills will actually get a lot uh, faster. And that's simply because you'll be batching your bill payments together. 
instead of having to log on to online banking every single time there's a single bill, pulling up the invoice, figuring out who you gotta pay, et cetera, et cetera. No, 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 no. Now you can batch it all together, log in once to online banking, pay bill, 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 close it down and forget about it for another week or two. That batching really does save you time. Once that's done, I recommend that you consider changing how you negotiate with any new vendors that you have. Set up something called a standard terms of payment. This is my company's standard terms of payment right here. Feel free to copy it if you like. Then every time that you enter into a new negotiation with a new vendor, maybe that's for a website or with a marketing firm, make sure that you use these standard terms of payment. The standard terms of payment outline how you'll pay them, how often you'll pay them, and that's the magic piece right there. You'll tell your vendors that you pay them once per month or maybe every other week, whatever flow works for you. And by getting all of your vendors moving forward into that sync, you're moving closer and closer and closer to having the optimized solution. Once you've got that in place, the next step, if this makes sense, is actually to renegotiate with your current vendors. Now, sometimes you don't wanna upset the fruit basket, things are going well, and you really don't think they'd be cool with it. But if you can, see if you can renegotiate so that you pay your vendors less often. They'll still get the same total amount of money, you're just gonna pay them a little bit less often to streamline your operations. Now, this is what I would say to a vendor. I would say, hey, I've really, really appreciated working with you and I want to continue working with you for many months to come. My business is growing, I've got more people, the complexity is going up internally behind the scenes in my business. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to help me streamline my operations so that I can continue paying you on time every single time. The change I'm looking to make is instead of paying you the same day or the same week, is to batch all payments I pay to all vendors to once per month. If you can work with me on that, I feel very confident that we'll be, continue, be continuing to work with you and that we'll be continuing to successfully pay you on time each and every single time. Can you help me in that way? Now, what if you've had a bad track record of paying on time? This kind of conversation is the perfect conversation to say, you know what, I acknowledge that I've been bad at getting my payables paid to you on time. I feel horrible about that. One way I'm gonna remedy this is by batching all my payments together and doing it consistently at the same day, at the same time, every two weeks or once per month, whatever you choose. That way I can get into a great rhythm of paying you on time every single time, which I've felt horrible about in the past and I wanna, and I wanna right this wrong. Now, if you wanna go super elite on paying bills slower, you can do what I do. And that is to have a cutoff date on the 30th of every single month any invoice that comes in during the month gets paid at the same time, but we don't pay on the 30th of the month, we pay on the 15th of the following month. So what that means is even if we receive invoices at the very last minute on the 30th day of the month, we still get bare minimum 15 days of leeway to make sure the invoices are looking good, we have payment information, the invoice is complete, and then bang, we pay it all at once on the 15th. What that also means is if a client has sent us an invoice on the first of the month, we have 30 days until the invoice cut off and another 15 days until our promise to pay day. So we get between 15 and 45 days of float for us to hold on to our cash longer. That's what we do. That's what our standard terms of payment are. And it's been incredible to help us have more 
cash in the bank and more margin for error, which has been wonderful for my own psyche. Our seventh lever to help improve our financial position is to better manage our inventory. Now, if you've got an entirely service-based business, then maybe this seventh lever does not apply to you whatsoever. If you do have inventory in your company, this can be an incredible game changer. Now, there's always this tug of war when it comes to inventory. We wanna buy as much inventory as possible so that we can get the biggest bulk discounts from our suppliers. At the same time, we wanna buy as little inventory as possible so that we're tying up as little cash as possible so we can keep cash free to go and do other things in our business. We want to get as much inventory as possible so that we can take advantage of big seasonal peaks like Amazon Prime Day or Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever seasonal spikes that you see. But at the same time, we want to minimize how much cash you put into inventory to minimize risk. Just in case this season is not as good as last year, maybe customers are not as eager to buy what we've got. So as you can see, there's this tug of war, have as much cash in inventory to have as little, as, as much as possible, as little as possible, back and forth, back and forth. Now I don't have any magic formula for you aside from really getting to know your numbers and understanding what you're willing to risk. I think Warren Buffett has a great three-part question set that I encourage you to recommend. The question set is, what's the upside? What's the downside? Can I live with the downside? If you put every last penny that you've got into buying inventory for something and then it doesn't sell, can you live with that downside? Now, if you do end up in a situation where you have a ton of cash tied up in inventory and it's been a while that you've been holding it on, I highly recommend that you think about doing a fire sale to liquidate your inventory. Now, old me would have think, thought of this as a loss, but as long as you're selling for the same amount that you bought at wholesale, then you're actually just converting one asset type into another. If you have $50,000 of something tied up in inventory and you thought you were gonna make 100, it's, it's not a loss for you to resell it at 50. If you resell it at 50, it's, all that means is you tried, it didn't work out, you got your money back, and now you can redeploy that cash, that same 50 grand, into a new product or a new service that is then going to hopefully be a lot hotter for you. And if you've been pulling the other levers that I've been talking about so far in this video, you probably by now do see that you have certain products that are less expensive to acquire and less expensive to fulfill. And so if you can find where those hot spots are, you can take cash out of non-performing inventory and reallocate it into those inexpensive to acquire, inexpensive to fulfill products and services and multiply your money once again. Our eighth lever to improve your financial position is to evaluate your assets. Now let's be very straight about this. There are absolutely certain investments into our company that we absolutely need to make. Yes, we need a computer to be able to run our business. If you're manufacturing physical products, then you need a loom to be able to produce the fabric. If you are doing any kind of marketing, you probably need cameras and software and whatnot that you need to invest into. That totally makes sense. There is a limit though on how far we should go. 
Far too often I've seen an entrepreneur see an influx of cash. That could be from an investor, that could be from a bank, that could be from a big sale that they've made. And suddenly they're buying premium this, premium that, and even buying things that they barely ever use. Like imagine having an office where you had to buy the shiniest multi-thousand dollar espresso machine because it was just so on brand for you. Let's be honest, does that espresso machine genuinely produce more profit for your company? Every expense and every investment that we make in our company has to be thought as an investment. Is this particular purchase going to generate new and higher profitability and cash for my company? If not, eesh, it's probably in excess that we just don't need. And there's an opportunity cost to overspending and overinvesting. If you've put an extra $5,000 into some fancy espresso machine, goodness gracious, that's $5,000 that you didn't put towards hiring another teammate or perhaps towards another ad campaign or improving your website or creating landing pages, all of which, which would be assets that would be producing more and more profit for you. So there is an opportunity cost every time you overspend or overinvest into the business. So if you find that you have overspent and overinvested into the business, I highly recommend that you take a look around, identify those things that you could probably sell off. Do you really need that extra vehicle? Do you really need that extra laptop? And maybe you haven't overspent, but just maybe certain assets you're just not using anymore. For example, maybe you had a big office before the pandemic, then the pandemic hit, and now you've got all this extra office furniture. Maybe you don't even need your vehicle anymore because you're used to working from home. So any kind of excess equipment, property, plant, any kind of asset that's sitting around unused, think about selling that too because you can free the cash that's stuck inside those assets and redeploy it into actually operating your business and generating profit. Ultimately, I think it comes down to this expression. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. I think the ultimate embodiment of this is Warren Buffett. He still lives in the same house that he bought in the 1950s. Today, that house would be valued somewhere between $300,000 and $600,000. And he still lives in Omaha, Nebraska. This man does not run around on yachts and all kinds of crazy you know, vacations to outer space. He, for fun, still plays bridge with his good buddy, Bill Gates. And that's what makes him happy. Our ninth lever to improve your financial position is debt management. I've been blown away at times when I've looked into companies and I discover that they're carrying a big balance on a credit card and it's carrying over month to month to month. Sometimes the entrepreneur doesn't realize that that credit card is charging them 11%, 15%, 21%, sometimes as high as 23.9%, which is mind blowing. If you find yourself in that kind of position, strongly consider going to get either a bank loan or a loan from friends and family that's much more reasonable, maybe in the like seven to 10% range. Then from there, use that new loan to pay off the credit card and immediately all that money that you were giving to interest, now you can hold on to that and use it to pay down debt and or allocate it elsewhere in your company. We wanna to get to a place that all of your company's profits are not immediately sucked up just by interest payments. That is a debt and death cycle 
that is incredibly, incredibly difficult to get out of. Another spot where I see debt management becoming an issue is if the entrepreneur has to pay someone off, whether it's an investor, themselves, or let's say a business partner that's leaving the business and they have to pay off. Now that can be painful. Let's say for example, we need to pay $10,000 a month every single month for five months to pay off our past partner, the $50,000 that we owe them for their half of the company. On one hand, that is a real pain to be eating $10,000 per month. But on the flip side, there's an end in sight. We know that after the fifth month and the $50,000 gone out the door, that we no longer have that liability. And all of that $10,000 per month that was going out the door, month in and month out, now we get to keep that. And once you've got that extra cash, you can deploy it anywhere that you want in your business, including possibly attacking that debt. Debt isn't necessarily good or bad. Debt is an instrument, it's like a knife. It can protect you and keep you safe, or it can badly, badly injure you. Debt accelerates what's already happening, whether it's good or it's bad. And what you'll typically find is that in an up market, debt can be your best friend because it helps you to invest more heavily into advertising and production. And because the whole market is going up, now you get to capitalize on more and more customers and more and more sales. Debt, on the other hand, in a down economy, actually accelerates your demise. Debt is your friend on the way up and it's your enemy on the way down. When you've got fewer and fewer customers buying, but you've still got this big debt load that you have to pay interest on every single month, and at some point you do have to pay the principal off, that is a very, very scary situation to be in. So just understand that debt carries tremendous responsibility. I myself have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars and it was incredibly painful to dig out from underneath that. Doesn't mean that I don't use debt, it just means that I respect it very, very heavily. If you've got a little bit of a cowboy cavalier attitude around debt, I'm worried for you. I encourage you to rein in that bravado a little bit and think about the Warren Buffett three questions said again, what's the upside, what's the downside, can I live with the downside? A few years ago, my own business was all over the map financially. To pay myself, I would kind of go into the business, take $1,000 here, $2,000 there, whenever I needed it. Honestly, I was treating the business as a piggy bank. And this really made it very, very difficult for me to know where I stand financially in my business when the cash is going up and down and I didn't know if it's because my business is doing well or bad or if I was just taking more and less out of the business. Something I did that I think a lot of entrepreneurs would benefit from is to set a standard flat amount that we take out of our business each and every month and not take more if we have a good month and not take less if we have a bad month. Now obviously if you have multiple bad months and you can't afford to pay yourself as much sometimes you just got to live with a little bit less. This all reminds me of a time when I was in a company I was brought in to take a look at their profit issues and their cash issues and pretty quickly I saw the owner was making the same mistake that I had made. When I asked my client how much money they thought they were taking out of the business, he said, oh, probably about $10,000 a month, so 120 grand per year. When I dug in, I discovered that he'd actually taken about $185,000 out of the business. Now seeing as the business only had about $10,000 of true operating profit, 
That extra 65,000 that he was taking out of the business was a big deal compared to the tiny margins that the company actually had. I've also had situations where there were two business partners that were more or less owning the business 50-50 and they were both working in the business full time, giving their full time talents and energy. And unfortunately, when we did a similar exercise, I discovered that one business partner was actually taking a lot more money than the other out of the business and they didn't even know. So I think that it's essential, especially if you've got a business partner, that you have a clear discussion about who can take what amounts of money, under what conditions, and under what frequency. And as long as that's clear and on the table ahead of time, everything can stay cool. Another way that we fool ourselves as entrepreneurs with how much money we take out of our business are the expenses that we bury in the company. For example, your cell phone. If you were an employee of your business, like you were an everyday nine to five worker, you probably would not be able to write off the cost of your cell phone. But because you're the owner of the company, you can bury that expense in the business as a business expense, and now you don't have to pay for it personally. Now we may think that we pay ourselves $10,000, $20,000 a month, something like that, when in fact, as we dig into the expenses that we're burying, Sometimes it's an additional $5,000, $10,000 per month, and that can add up very, very quickly. There's a process that happens when a business gets bought or sold called normalizing the financials. And what that is, is essentially we're trying to establish the true profitability of a company, minus all of the buried expenses that the entrepreneur may have put in there. What the acquiring party wants to know is, if this business was run entirely by employees, there was no owner operator in there, what would the income statement actually look like? The balance sheet actually look like? The statement of cash flows actually look like? Because they want to know if they're just going to be an armchair investor, what is this going to look like? And that process includes what are called addbacks, where we would say, ooh, the business deserves to have, let's say, $150 per month more profit because that expense for the cell phone wasn't really a business expense. That was just the owner burying a personal expense in the business. So a handy way to identify those kinds of non-normal revenues and expenses in your company is to ask a question like, if I were to replace myself and pay someone as an employee to be the CEO of my business, what revenues and expenses would be added back or removed and where would that leave my company financially? If you're like me, I bet you would not want your new employee CEO to be burying his whole family cell phones in the company's financials. That's kind of what I mean. Now, is there anything wrong or illegal to bury some of your expenses into the business? Well, that's definitely between you and your accountant to sort out what is onside and offside relative to the authorities. All entrepreneurs bury some amount of expenses into their company and you just got to make sure that you stay compliant and are only burying what's acceptable. It is a gray zone and you got to decide where you want to land in that gray zone. Certainly, I'm never going to condone you doing anything illegal. And so that's why I highly recommend that you speak to your accountant before you make any kind of moves on what you do and don't write off inside of your company. And of course, be honest with yourself, if no one else, about the impact of the expenses that you are expensing to your company and how that affects your profitability and your cash. So those are our 10 levers, but there's actually one really big bonus item that I think you always need to be thinking about in good times and in bad when it comes to the financial performance of your company. And this bonus item is so big 
that you could actually get all 10 of the levers that I just told you about. You could get those absolutely perfectly and yet your business could still crumble. So what is it that I'm talking about? I'm talking about macros. Macros are all of those big things around us and underneath us in the world that affect our company. This can include competition, public health, regulation, supply chain, war, geopolitics, commodity prices, interest rates, unemployment, work from home and employment trends, foreign exchange, elections, technology, robotics, automation, etc., etc., etc. Now there are really big macros like the pandemic of 2020 or the financial crisis of 2008. There's also medium-sized macros, which are those macros that more so affect your industry. And then there's kind of like micro macros, if you will, that really just affect your geography or your specific niche. And if any of those environmental factors are heavily against you, it may not matter how great you are with your current product, offer, operation, and service. For example, when the pandemic of 2020 hit, it didn't matter if a restaurant had the best menu with the most famous chef in the best possible location with the wealthiest possible clients, they were closing down. In fact, many Michelin-starred restaurants that were famed, that people from all over the world would travel to just to eat at those restaurants were shut down. Not because of the food, not because of the service, not because of the ambiance, not because of the chef, but simply because there was a macro far bigger than everything that shut them down. The fact of the matter is we are all little baby ants on the back of a massive elephant. If we wanna take a couple ant-sized paces to the east, but the elephant we're on wants to take two big elephant-sized paces to the west, we are all going to the west whether we like it or not. As an entrepreneur who wants to build a wonderful company that generates true financial success for themselves, those they love, their teammates, and wants to make a really great difference in the world while being an enjoyable place to go to day in and day out, I highly recommend that you pay attention to the macros that affect you and your business. Now, if you happen to be struggling with any or all of these 10 levers, the very, very good news is there are absolutely specific actionable things that you can do to fix wherever it is that your game is a little bit soft. By focusing not just on revenue, but rather on all 10 of these levers, I'm telling you that you can in fact build a business that gives you all the free cash that you're looking for to build a business that helps you make your dreams come true for those and those that you care about, to also give you a business that you enjoy day in, day out and makes a difference in this world. Once again, my name is Tim Francis and if you found this to be helpful, all I ask is that you continue following my work, whether that's on social media, on YouTube, or by joining my email list. Thank you so much.